How would you like to ski like that? That was actually a film of me. Uh, no, it wasn't. I'm not a skier at all. I'm not a skier at all. I wish I was. It looks great. It looks fantastic. Sport. Uh, skiing is just, uh, it, it, I don't know. Anybody here a skier? You skier? All right. A few people. A few people. Yesterday, I talked to uh, uh, somebody that went uh, ski boarding. And uh, it was actually Hang Chung's nephew. They uh, flew him, he flew out to uh, Victoria, British Columbia. They took him by helicopter up to a mountain, uh, almost 10,000 feet, dropped him off to ski board down a slope that nobody had ever, you know, snowboarded on. Yeah, snowboarding. That's called snowboarding? What did I call it? Ski boarding. Oh, snowboarding. See, I, I'm, not any, I'm not in this at all, you know. It's just foreign ground for me. You know what he said about snowboarding? He said the hardest thing was when he fell down. And there was so many uh, feet of powder of snow that you can't stand up after you fall down. And and it's very difficult. I tried skiing just a few times. One time I was at a church retreat and I was uh, ready to go cross-country skiing. I was just going to get my skis and then the youth group came out and tackled me and I tore my ACL. And after that, I said, if that can happen just going to go skiing, what could happen if I actually did go skiing? You know, I'd really hurt myself, right? So today, I want to talk about a certain slope, and it's not called uh, a ski slope. It's not called uh, the bunny slope. It's not called the beginner slope. It's not called, you know, if, if you're really good, you can go down the diamond slope or the Uh, black diamond or the triple black diamond, one of the hardest slopes to ski. I want to talk about the D slope, the D slope of our soul. And what is the D slope of our soul? And I've been thinking about this, and I think uh, navigating the D slope of your soul is so important because if you don't navigate this slope of your soul, it can cause you to fall away from God. It can cause you to be full of doubt, even depression. Some people have even committed suicide because they haven't navigated the de-slope of their soul. And let me show you what this is. It's disappointment. It's disillusionment. It's discouragement. And it's despair. A lot of D words here. My wife and I were talking about all the D words, how negative they are. You know, devastation, destruction. You know, the D words, there's not too many good D words. I thought of one, delight, you know. But the D words are kind of like the D slope, the down slope. And I kind of made this like this. I had a drawing of a down slope, but it didn't come out on the PowerPoint. Sorry about that. But really what happens is when we are disappointed, what happens in disappointment? Um, And we begin with disappointment when things don't go the way that we thought they should go. We get disappointed. It can be the loss of job. It can be illness. It can be um, uh, torn or uh, hurt relationships within family members. All the things that can cause disappointment to us. We thought things were going to turn out this way and then all of a sudden it seems like the rug is pulled out from under us. And we're disoriented, maybe in a, even in a pit of despair or depression. You know, 
in order to, for these skiers to traverse the mountain and the slopes of those, uh, of those snow mountains, they had to practice. But I'm sure they fell many, many times. You know, to be that good at skiing, you know, there's, it's a trial and error. There's a training that takes place. But if you're not willing to go down that slope, you could get, you, your fear would keep you from skiing like it has for me. You know, I don't really want to ski. But sometimes people, but we cannot avoid the de-slope of our souls. You cannot avoid it because everybody will face disillusionment. Everybody will face discouragement. Everybody will face despair. And we know everybody, always in our life, there's disappointments that come our way. So I love the Psalms. I love the book of Psalms because in the book of Psalms, David, who wrote most of these psalms, he dealt with disappointment, disillusionment. He dealt with discouragement. He dealt with despair. And he wrote about it. And he wrote about what was going on inside his soul while these things were going on. And so we get a picture of that. And I love the book of Psalms. I try to read a psalm or two every day because I think they help me to become more self-aware of what's going on deep inside my heart. Do you know that there's things that go deep inside our heart? There's fears. There's things in our lives that are going on deeply inside us. And unless we're aware of them, they come out in different ways. Like, do you ever walk around somebody that just blew up in anger at you for no reason? There's something going on deep down inside their soul. There's something that happened. They may not even be aware of it, but there's something going on there. And so David has this uh, ability to really be able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to write down what's going on in his life and to be able to communicate that. And then we, as we read the Scripture, we're able to grasp something from that as well and become more self-aware as well and more attuned to what God may be doing in our lives. So let me give you a little background about Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is a psalm that was written to the sons of Korah. Now, who are the sons of Korah? Well, the sons of Korah were related to Korah, who was also part of Moses' crew back in, way back when the people were coming from uh, Egypt into the Promised Land. But his descendants were also part of David's uh, 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 followers as well, and part of his kingdom. And some of these men, it says here, uh, it says in 1 Chronicles 25, 1, it says, David and the army commanders then appointed men from the family of Asaph, Heman, and Jadathan to proclaim God's message to the accompaniment of lyres, harps, and cymbals. And I did a little research on these guys, Asaph, Heman, and Jadathan. Heman was actually a son of Korah. He was related to Korah, and he was actually the choir master of David's temple when, the, when they would worship. Heman was not the guy from the Masters of the Universe. He wasn't that guy. Are you guys familiar with the Masters of the Universe cartoon? No, that's before your time. Some of you people that are 30s and 40s, you know, Masters of the Universe. That's not the guy, right? Heman is a son of Korah. He is a master musician. But not only that, he's anointed by God. And when he sings the songs, the Bible says he was proclaiming God's message or he was prophesying. The word actually means prophesying while he was singing. 
Have any of you ever heard a song like we were singing some of these songs here? And it just touches your heart. You say, wow, that's what, exactly what I'm going through right now in my life. That is a message to me of encouragement that God wants me to trust Him. It is well with my soul. That God is speaking something to my soul that He wants me to accept the things that I'm going through right now and to continue to trust Him even though I can't see what's going on. It is well with my soul. So David had a group of people that he had commissioned just to worship the Lord and to prophesy and give messages through the music that they, that they uh, uh, created. And a lot of times the Psalms, David would write the Psalms and he'd give them the words and they'd put it to music. And so some people ask, why do we sing so much in our church? Why do we sing so much? Well, we sing so much because it's biblical. It's biblical to worship the Lord and allow the Lord to speak to you through the songs. So do never think that the message is more important than the worship. It's not even biblical. Or that worship is more important than the message. A lot of times, they're intertwined together. And they were in the life of David. And that's how he got through the de-slope in his life, because he got through the most depressing, most struggling times as he hung on to the Word of God and the promises of God. So what's happening during this time in David's life when Psalm 42 is written? Well, David had gone through a lot of difficulties in his life. We know some of them. We know, you're, you're familiar with probably some of them. Everybody knows David and Goliath, right? That's when he's very young. But then when David becomes anointed king, he has to wait 14 years and serve a king who is angry, jealous of him, and trying to kill him. For 14 years, he has to follow this king, even though it's unfair. Even though David should be the king, and he had time to, there was one time that he could have actually taken the throne from King Saul and obtained the throne and usurped it, but he refused to. He said, no, unless God puts me in that position, I'm not going to do it. But this comes even later in his life. So he had a, a king that was after him, that was jealous, and then he had a son, Absalom, who was rebellious and manipulating. And what he did is he tried to usurp the throne of his father, David, by a very cunning and slick way. He tried to get everybody to follow him instead of his father, David. And this is the time in David's life where his son, Absalom, actually takes over the throne, and David has to leave Jerusalem, his hometown, and, and, and march out into the wilderness to escape his own son trying to kill him. It's a very discouraging, disappointing time in his life. And so this is what David says, My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? Now this is, this is David being very honest He's saying, I've been broken. My soul is broken inside. I'm crying out to God. And then people are coming up to me and they're judging me. They're saying, if this happened to you, David, you must have done something wrong. 
And he's saying, where is God? And for some reason, there's times in our lives when we don't feel the God's presence at all. And this was a time in David's life when he was so broken, he couldn't even sense God's presence. It's a hard place to be. You know when that's happening that you're on the D slope. You know when that's happening that God is sending you down a slope and you have to navigate the things like disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment. And that's what David did. So he's going down this slope in his life, in his soul. You know, a fascinating book on, the, on David's life is The Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I, I really highly recommend that if you ever want to read a good book on leadership. It's The Tale of Three Kings because it shows David's leadership, King Saul's leadership, and then it shows Absalom's leadership. And it says, what kind of leader do you want to be? Do you want to be a jealous, angry dictator? Do you want to be a cunning, manipulative person? Or do you want to be like David who sought the Lord even in the midst of difficulties and said, God, I want to honor you with the decisions I make in my life. And this is what David did. He says, my tears have been my food all day long. So there's disappointment, there's disillusionment. And then, has this ever happened to you when you're going through a tough time and then you flip over to Facebook or Instagram and you see everybody having a wonderful time? You say, what about about me? What about my family? What about what I got to go through? And a lot of times we compare, in today's day and age, we can compare ourselves to a lot of people. And sometimes, oh, we're doing better, but sometimes we're not doing as good. And it's disappointing, it's disillusioning. But this is what David said. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Almighty One, the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. David is going back and he's comparing. He's comparing what his life used to be like after he did become king, after Saul, King Saul died, he became king. They had a celebration. There was peace in the land. Uh, the presence of God was there. David would celebrate with uh, Heman and the rest of the choir masters, and he'd give his psalms, and they'd play music together, and they'd hear God speak, and it was a wonderful time in his life. It's a great place to be. It's a great place to be, but it doesn't always last like that in our lives, does it? Difficulties happen in our lives. So David's looking back, and he says, man, how I used to go to the house of God And God was protecting me, and now it seems like I have no protection. Why did he allow my son to do this? Or maybe it's my fault because I wasn't really a good father. And and David, he really wasn't a good father to his son Absalom. If you know the background story of Absalom, he ended up murdering his stepbrother because his stepbrother raped Absalom's sister. There's a lot of bad things happening. You know, the Bible is R-rated. You know that? I mean, it talks about everything. It talks about sexual abuse. It talks about all the things that are happening in real life today. That's why the Bible is so powerful, and it can relate to anybody in their life and what they're going through. And so David, he never confronted Absalom. He kind of just, he shunned him. He never talked to him. 
Not sure he forgave him for killing the brother. And Absalom was upset at David because David didn't do anything about the sexual abuse. He just tried to cover it up. And so there's this dynamics going on in the family. And David is wondering, what, is it my fault that this has happened? What's going on? And he's questioning. And then it says here, he says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you going, and I'm putting this in, why are you going, David probably didn't say this, why are you going down the D slope? Okay, he probably didn't say that, but I'm going to say it just so that we can grasp onto something here, okay? Why am I going down the D slope now, or why am I stuck in one of these areas of the D slope? Disillusionment, discouragement. See, David is losing his spiritual insight. His vision. And remember last week we talked about spiritual vision and and being able to see what God is doing even when dark times or difficulties happen. David is losing his spiritual insight here because all these things are happening to him. And he's saying, why? But he's asking the question, why so disturbed within me? That's a question That's a good question to ask yourself. Why am I so disturbed within me? What is it that is causing me anxiety? What is it that's causing me fear? What is it that's causing me anger? What is it that's causing me such sadness or depression? What is it that's going on in my soul? And am I able to bring that to God? Now David... Knowing David, he probably brought it to God, but God was not working on David's timetable. And he doesn't work on our timetable either always. But his timing is perfect. He's able to work in a way that we sometimes can't see. Or sometimes we see years later what God was up to that we had missed presently going through something. And so David says to himself, he starts to speak to his soul, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David, at this time, is a turning point in his life. He's turning back to God, and he's saying, I'm going to put my hope in God, and I'm going to still praise him, Because He's my Savior and He's my God, He's the one I'm going to trust in. I'm going to place my hope in Him. And you know what it is? It's like David is in this pit and all of a sudden he comes to God speaking to him. He says, David, I'm the answer for you. It's not the circumstance. It's not Absalom. It's not this. It's not that. It's me. I'm the answer for you. And God says that still today. He points us that He is the answer. He's the one that we need to put our hope in. So David is totally disoriented in his soul. We talked about this in Sunday school. We talked about being disoriented in your soul and how to get reoriented. It comes through holding on to the promises of God and placing your trust in God. And he begins to reorient his soul to what he was doing. You know, I was talking to Jeff about when he fell in that powdered snow 
up in British Columbia what he did. And he said, what I have to do is I have to take my hands and I have to form the powder and press it down so I have something of substance to stand on. And he says it's very hard to get back on a, on a snowboard after you fall off of it because you've got to find your snowboard and then you've got to find something to push down on to get your to get a, a, a solid foot on so that you can continue down the slope. And he said, what I had to do is I had to stop and actually build a base that I could then support myself on. Otherwise, you're just flailing around in powder. And there's times when God, he has a stop. He, 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 he interrupts our life. He interrupts our life in such a way that it kind of disorientates us. What's going on? And we have to come back and say, God, I want to reorient my life in you. And so I want to be able to be stepping on your promises, who you are, your character, your love in my life. I want to to reorient my life on you. And that's what David did. He says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, he says, therefore, and it's there for a reason. I will remember you. And then he says this. He goes, from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon. It's the most beautiful mountain, snow-capped mountain in all of Israel is Mount Hermon. I've talked to you about it before. But it is this huge mountain that comes up. You can see it all the way from the Sea of Galilee. It's in the background there. And it, it flows. And it's actually the water source for the Jordan River. But it's this huge snow capped mountain. And it's even snow-capped in the heat of summer. It's that high. And David's saying, I, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to remember that mountain that you created. If you're big enough to create that, you're big enough to bring me out of this pit I'm in right now. And then David says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. If you begin to climb up Mount Hermon, what happens is that the snow that is melting becomes a rapid of river that becomes waterfalls and a cascade. It's almost like uh, Niagara Falls right before it goes over the falls. It's that rapid, but, you know, it's not as wide as that, but they're narrow. And if you got caught in that, you'd be over your head in water. And David's saying... Uh, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. God, you're doing something deep in my soul that I don't understand, but I'm asking you to show me what it is, what you're doing. I'm opening my life to you so that you could speak to me in what I'm going through right now. You see, God, He loves that. He loves that kind of response. He loves that kind of response. He will will answer that kind of response. He may not answer it the way you think he should answer it, but he will answer it. Deep calls to deep. I'm just, everything swept over me. I'm over my head, but I need you, God. You know, David wrote so many psalms. He wrote this psalm in Psalm 121. I know you're familiar with it. But it's actually a group of, of psalms. It's uh, like 15 psalms. It's called the Song of Ascents. Ascent. You know, like going up high. 
But it starts really low. And they go up, and they're going up to worship God. It's called the Song of Ascent. And one of the one is he goes, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, not from the mountain. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Have you ever been at a beautiful sunset? And man, it is so, I love sunsets. I mean, my iPhone is full of pictures of sunsets. I mean, I could show it to you. It's just full of sunsets. I love sunsets. My kids will tell you, Dad, if you send me another sunset, you know, I'll, put, I'll put a sunset on there and then I'll put a little scripture in. You know, you use a Bible app, you can create these things. But I love the sunsets. And sunsets are so beautiful. They remind me of the majesty of God. They, they remind me that he paints the sky. But he's also able to orchestrate our lives. He's able to work in our lives, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And this is what David says. I'll look up and I'll, and I'll see the beauty of creation, your universe that you made. God, and if you could do all that and you're thinking about me, you're thinking about me, you know my name, you know what I'm going through, you know my circumstances, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Psalm 42, verse 8 says, and this, and we're going to kind of conclude here. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. You see, David used the songs that God had given him to remind him of what he was doing in his life. You know, that's why if, you, if the Lord speaks to you through a worship song, or a special song. I'm not talking about some love song, you know. I mean, that's okay if it's with your wife or something. Or, but I'm talking about a song where God lifts up your soul. Where God really does something in your soul. And he reminds you of his promises. And you hang on to that. You know, back in the, in the 1980s, God gave me several songs. I haven't had a new song. I haven't written a new song in probably 10, 15 years. But those songs that I wrote back 30 years ago, I still play them. And when I play them, they remind me of how faithful God has been in my life back then and even now. So there's this sense. David wrote these songs and these songs would stay with him. But you don't have to write songs for them to stay with him. You can use somebody else's song. David had many, many people that used his songs. And they were encouraged by his songs. And they became their songs. And they became their songs through their struggles down the D slope. He was with them. You know what this psalm, how it begins? It begins like this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? David is saying, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for your presence. When we're singing that, Lord, that song, Holy Spirit, come fill this place. We want your presence here. 
There is a thirst in your soul that nothing else can quench but the living God. He's created us that way. He's created us with this huge vacuum in us that can only be filled with His presence, His power, His character, His promises. God wants to fill us with Himself. So how do you navigate the D slope of your soul? How do you do that? Well, when disappointment comes, you have to believe that God is sovereign even in the most difficult of things. It's His appointment. Disappointment is His appointment. There's some reason why God is allowing you or your family to go through something like this. He doesn't want you to give up hope, but He wants you to see that He's in control. He's in control. Even though it may not make sense, He's in control. Romans 8.28 says that God works all things together for good to those that love Him, those that are called according to His purpose. He's orchestrating something. It may be the most difficult of things, but in the end, He's orchestrating something. Maybe He's awakening our soul to our need for Him. Disappointment will do that. Illness will do that. Loss of job will do that. Career change will do that. Transition will do that. Disillusionment. When we can't seem to understand things, God is pushing us to seek Him for His wisdom and understanding. Getting spiritual vision, insight, understanding. Discouragement. What happens? He wants us to find courage and faith in Him. Courage. To face. See, what happened with me with skiing was I had that bad experience and then I didn't want to ski anymore. Do you know there's people that have a bad experience with God? I'm trusting God. I was praying. And then this happened. I'm never going to trust Him again. They just walk away. Discouragement. They get stuck. They stay stuck. But the Bible says to have courage in Christ. Despair. When despair comes, despair is actually the equivalent of having no more hope. Your hope is gone. I, I, I'm hopeless. But no, nobody's hopeless. Not with Christ. He says, I will give you a living hope, and that hope will bring you no shame. You know, I think sometimes we're ashamed Because we put our faith in God and it didn't work out the way we thought it would work out. So then we feel ashamed. Oh, maybe I didn't have enough faith or maybe I should have done this or maybe I should have done that. But the Bible says the hope that God gives, the true hope that God gives, pushes us through shame and helps us stand up again. Helps us to get our firm foundation again. Helps us to stand up and take the next step that God wants us to take. People that are hopeless, that are totally in despair, what the, sometimes the alternative that they choose is suicide. And it's because they're totally without hope. And that doesn't have to be that way in Christ. Christ always gives us hope. You know, so many people could have sang Psalm 42. You could have had Jeremiah singing it. He was caught in a prison unfairly placed in a dungeon, in a muddy dungeon. He stayed there for years. And then God pulled him out and rescued him. 
It could have been Elijah after he was running away from the prophets from Jezebel and King Ahab. It could have been even Jesus himself when he was at Gethsemane. And he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. It could have been the Apostle Paul could have sang Psalm 42. When? When he was thrown in prison unjustly. Or when he was shipwrecked three times. Or when he was stoned and left for dead. Despair, discouragement, disillusionment. But they got up. They got up. Mark Batterston, he's a pastor in Washington, D.C. He writes a whole book about a guy named Benaniah. He's one of David's 30 mighty men. You see, David just didn't have this faith and keep it to himself. It inspired a whole army of people. And 30 of the men were like fantastic warriors. And then he said there was three really great ones. Benaniah wasn't even one of the great ones. It says, but Benaniah wasn't even one of the great ones. But this is what he did. And there's a verse in the Bible that talks about, it says, Benaniah chased a lion down into a pit. Then despite the snow and the slippery ground, he caught the lion and killed it. I'm sorry if there's any animal activists here. But this is what happened back in the day when the lion was trying to kill you. You had to kill the lion. It was life or death. And he chased the lion after it attacked him. And he ran down and he went into a pit with a lion on a snowy, slippery day. Who wants to be in a pit with a lion on a snowy, slippery day? Talk about a de-slope. That's about the worst. And he's in this place. And the Bible says, it just says this about it. Mark Batterson wrote a book, and it's called In a Pit on a Snowy Day with a Lion. And what he's trying to say is this. He he gives this proposition. He says that we may end up in our lives, at the end of our life, knowing what we know about God, His power, His presence, His promise. How will we look back at the times of disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement? Will we have said, oh, I quit, I have regrets at the end of our life? Or we will we, like Benaniah, will we say, look it, I'm going to face the lion. I'm going to get back up. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to trust God. My hope is going to be in the living God no matter what. In a pit on a, with a lion on a snowy day. Sometimes we're in that position. What will we do? Will we give up? You know what the problem is? I think the reason we give up, let me be honest here, because we've gotten hurt before, and it reminds us of the hurt and say, instead of trying and failing again and getting hurt again, and this can be in a relationship with love, it can be in a marriage, instead of getting hurt again and disappointed, I'm not even going to try, I'm going to give up. That's the end of that can be in a job. Oh, I tried. 
I tried to change my career, but I'm disappointed. I'm not going to change again. It, it costs too much. It hurts too much. And God may be saying, no, I want you to change. Ask George Leo. He's changed a lot. How many jobs you've had? And 20, 20 different jobs. Never gives up. 20. <laughs> He's a young man still. He's not even 60. He's had 20 different jobs. But you've got to get up. And you've got to face that lion. That lion is roaring. The Bible says Satan goes about as a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. But you, you stand and resist him firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And you can face it too. And you see, one of the things that happens that David had that's maybe not included in this psalm is he had a group of people around him that supported him. Oh, he had some people that were naysayers that criticized him and said, oh, it's hopeless. You know, where's your God? What's happening to you? But he had a few people, some of those 30 men that came around him and said, look it, you can do this. Don't give up. That's where the body of Christ comes in. That's why I encourage people, come to church. Build some relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Have them be a resource to you when you're, going, when you're facing the down slopes of your life or even in the pit of despair. You're going to need some people to come around you and speak God's Word and messages to you or hear that Word from God in a song. Maybe they're going to be the one that gives it to you. We need each other. Well, what shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The Apostle Paul writes this. This is probably some of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It's God who makes us right with Him. He forgives us. He restores us. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And you see, this is what he does. The the Apostle Paul, he's understanding, he's going through some tremendous trials, but he's saying the love of God is keeping me. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to stand on his promises. I'm going to stand on his love. Knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us, I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. That's God's word to us. That's God's word to us. That's God's word to you. 
So let me conclude here. Navigating the the, the slope of your soul. Disappointment. Remember His appointment. Remember God is sovereign. Remember that He's even at work in the most difficult of times. Sometimes we have to ask for help. Sometimes we have to get wisdom in the disappointment that we're in. Disillusionment. Regain your spiritual vision. If you've been disillusioned with church or with uh, the Bible or with God, you need to regain spiritual vision. You need a healthy spirituality. You need health and spiritual in your soul. Discouragement. If you're facing, if you're in the pit of discouragement, you need courage to face down the lions. You need to confront the things that are discouraging you. You need to face it. You need to face it. You need to take an action step and addressing it. Even though it's painful, even though it's difficult, you take a step. Face down the lions like Benaniah. And then despair. If you find yourself in the pit of despair, find his hope. Sometimes people in this stage in their life, when they're full of despair, they need other people to come around them and support them and lift them up. David needed this. If David needed this and he wrote the Psalms, how much more do we? We need need the help. Romans 5.5 says, In hope, this kind of hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Amen. Promises of God are so powerful when when they become life to us. When they just don't become words or they just don't become what somebody else is saying, but they become our own. When we can own them and understand them and they're applied in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, it makes a difference. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we ask that you would Apply your word and your promises to us, Lord. I pray for anybody going through the D slope. We're all going through it in some ways, Lord. But those that are stuck, those that have given up, I pray, Father, that you would be their strength. Lord, your word says that your power is made perfect in our weakness. So, Lord, we don't have to conjure up some kind of courage. We need to ask you for courage. Uh, We don't need to conjure up some kind of wisdom or plan or strategy. We need your wisdom, insight, strategy. Lord, you can do anything. We look to you. We look to you to be our source our strength, our Savior, and our Lord. So we ask today, Lord, that you will continue to encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name.